2: Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portzine here, joined by Allison Lucan over there.
3: Hello, hello.
2: And Tom Reed way out there. Tom, say hello. Hello.
1: Just driving, just driving, just driving to the Berg airport, airport. airport and uh, sure. fly west. Yeah. And, uh, and then fly east to Philadelphia.
2: Yeah. Now, will John? Oh, not John Candy. That's sad. He's no longer with uh, us. We'll Steve on this trip with you? I uh, know, <laughs> no. I will.
1: Uh, I hope at some point tonight to be drinking in Philadelphia, but I, I am worried about the weather.
2: I like your chances. Correct. Okay. Uh, Blue Jackets a two to one win last night at home against the New Jersey Devils. Not a particularly clean game by any stretch. Blue Jackets a two nothing lead. Cam Atkinson with a penalty shot goal, which is always cool to see. Rare. Uh, and then it just kind of got a little, little itchy there at the end. The Blue Jackets hold on two to one. Massive shift at the end of the game. Bob with a couple of big saves. Um, and you know what? The Blue Jackets salvage their homestand. They they started 0-2 in this homestand. They finished 3-2-1 on this homestand. So I think you'll take that after the 0-2 start. They're now 5-4-1, and the Metro always good to be above water in your division. And they've got some division games coming up here philadelphia on saturday new jersey on sunday those are both matinees then a three-day christmas break mandated by the league and then the blue jackets at the rangers on the 27th so uh some very very pivotal games here for these guys uh it's always good to win the the division games the points are so much more valuable um i thought last night's game highlighted a couple of, of stories um I thank them for their timeliness that sort of corresponded with a couple stories written by Allison and Tom on the Athletic website. One of them was the power play. Allison went through, I mean, she should get hazard pay. She went through (laughs) the the Blue Jackets power plays, broke them down to figure out where they are breaking down, if you will. Um, And I think we saw more of it last night, 0 for 4. Allison, what did you learn? And my God, is there anything you can do to help this from being such an unwatchable exercise?
3: <laughs> well, um, we, we learned a few things. And, and what was hard about it is that the, the kind of data that I was pulling is, is information that's just not publicly available. We have to pull it manually. So one of the big challenges we still have is we know what our eyes are telling us, but we don't yet know how bad or how good things are till we can start comparing this to some other teams. So hopefully that data will start to come um, yeah. as well. But um, sometimes, to, to quote John Tortorella, sometimes your gut makes you uh, feel certain things when you look at the information. And, you know, this is a team that actually is quite good at getting the puck into the zone where they're struggling is getting into formation. And then once they're in formation, Getting those shots off their off their sticks, whether it's like we saw last night, Seth Jones' stick breaks when he has a lane, or it's it's that last move that they they foible the pass or the puck bounces over their stick or what or you know it gets broken up. They're just not making the most of when they get into formation, and we saw a lot of that last night. A lot of struggles getting set up, and you know their most successful kind of entry if you can call it that, is is their face-offs on the power play. And who, the person who's really been the most consistent there throughout the season um, has been Boone Jenner. Nick Foligno's numbers came out almost the same, but those are through a kind of a late burst. Um, and he was taking a lot of the face-offs last night and, and wasn't really seeing the success that the team needed. So having trouble maintaining possession. And one thing I want to go back and, and track t- – Again, on all these power plays, is some time measures. How long are things taking? And while they're successful in entries, the entries that they're using take a long time. Like we're talking 10, 15 seconds sometime And this is a team that averages three and a half entries per power play. So you're already looking at at least 30 seconds off your power play where you're not even shooting. You're just trying to get in the zone. And you know that that to me feels disruptive as well. You've either got to get in that zone and stay there or find a way to enter faster. And once you're in the zone, capitalize faster for sure.
2: I just feel like there's this, um, like they can't find a balance between urgency and uh, and panic. Yes. Like, I don't want to be panicked because they're struggling. We don't want to think about that way. Just be cool. Just be calm. We got lapses into this last night where you're just like, why is it so slow? Yeah. It, it,
1: it reminds me, it reminds me of, uh, you know, just covering so much basketball in the NBA. I think the power play is a lot like a half court offense in basketball. What makes both good is a, you get it set up quickly. B you make the ball work for you. In other words, you're passing the ball quickly. You're making quick plays and you're getting guys to move. You're not getting guys stationary. And it, it just, to me, that's a lot of the same things that are, that are affecting the blue jackets. I think Allison and, had mentioned this earlier, just the, and, and Aaron's hitting on it right now, is the puck moves so slowly. It's, you watch some of the better power plays, and it's zipping. It's going through the box sometimes. There's a lot of movement. Uh, anyone, I, I'm sure a lot of Blue Jacket fans watched the Pittsburgh-Washington game the other night. And, you know, Ovechkin, we always think of, oh, always, always shooting from that left circle. And they did a really good job, NBC, of, of, on a couple of power plays. Just Seeing how much Ovechkin does move, he's sometimes at the top, yeah, where where you'd think Seth Jones would be. So th- th- that's the kind of power play. And again, I know that's one of the best ones, but that there's so much movement and there's so much puck movement that we don't see with the Blue Jackets.
2: Yeah, it's just, and you wonder what can be done. they and uh, in one sense, you say, well, they've tried everything personnel-wise. And uh, I mean, Allison, I've been asking you this for a while. With these defensemen they have, I mean, a lot of teams go to the 1-3-1 one, because one, you're like, well, we don't really have two really good point guys. I think the Blue Jackets with E. jones with, with Devara murray could certainly have two really good point guys that happen to be defensemen if they wanted to go that way. Is there any reason to even attempt 2-3, or is that just totally passe right now?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's... And there's trends and there's what works for you, right? So, um, as I went through a lot of this, you know, again, and this is my gut. My gut tells me this isn't design flaw per se. It's it's execution flaw. A lot of the things Tom just mentioned, and if if you're if your personnel is out there and they're slow to execute in an area of play that capitalizes on creating chaos by creating confusion. It doesn't matter how you're set up, right? It's it's people are going to figure you out. And Torrance has said this too. No matter what you do, the minute it's on tape, thirty other teams know exactly what you're doing within days. Yeah. So so it's about getting this this executing correctly. I also one thing that could be interesting to look at is some of the research I've done is that there is a, a a idea of fit or match between the way you enter the zone and the way you set up information. And if you're having trouble setting up information, it may have to do with how you are entering the zone. So you're entering successfully, but it's sure. a challenge to get set up. So um, that could be something to look at, but again that's that's something I'm going to, I'm going to have to go back and look at now 110 power plays and see uh, see what we see there. I hope our
1: I hope our readers and I think they do uh, judging from the comments on some of your stories, Allison, appreciate how much research and how much time you're putting into this to, to, to give us the, the, these deep dives into the power play. It's amazing. and It's amazing research uh, on that story. Yesterday I'm reading it. And I was just laughing thinking, Oh my God, I'd, I'd never make it through half <laughs> those power plays, let alone, you know, it's, it's just, it's really good stuff. And it's really did, it, uh, Graduate level stuff that uh, you're, you're kind of digging into there.
2: Well, they're hard enough to watch the first time.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's the that's the rub. Another another thing that was highlighted in in uh, Thursday's game, two one over the Devils, and and really super highlighted. Plenty of time to think about it because the Blue Jackets spent most of the final two ten in their own zone, and you know we kicked around a lot of ideas up in the press box, and some of them come to fruition. Some of them don't. Tom, you started kicking this around about a week or so ago. Man, they fired. They, they, don't, they don't even skate the puck to the red line anymore. They, they're just going for the bomb into the empty net when they're in their own zone. And you started, and I think you were probably a little surprised by uh, the frankness and, and almost the clarity of, yes, this is new. You, you are right to say that this is new. Tell the people what you found, how the Blue Jackets are handling themselves when they're on the ice protecting a lead and there's an empty net on the other end of the rink.
1: Well, it, the, this first came to me, and I think I, I watched it last night. At the I watched the end of the, uh, the Islanders' uh, uh, Vegas game, and Vegas scored on probably about a 150-foot shot. They were protecting a one-goal lead, and the guy never even, I can't remember if it was Bellamore or whoever it was, never even thought twice. He said, I'm not going to skate another stride. I'm going to shoot it. And a couple of weeks ago, the, the Rangers scored a one where it was like that, and they asked David Quinn about it. And Quinn said he's the Rangers' new coach. He's like, I'm not a fan of it, but I think it's becoming a trend. But I'm not a fan of it. So that got me thinking. And then Seth Jones scored like a 190-foot one in Detroit. And I asked him about it. And I think he, was at the time, was being a little coy. Because when we talked to him yesterday, basically they admitted that, that they have been given the go-ahead to go ahead and start shooting. And as usual, I turned to Allison. And I'm like, you know, Torch is saying... He's got these, these stats, these analytics that say uh, that, that, that it says to go ahead and take those shots. Go ahead and shoot it down there. We've got They have Dubinsky, who wins a lot of faceoffs. That's part of it in the defensive zone. But there's numbers that back it up. And I said, well, what are the numbers? He goes, oh, I, don't, I don't have Mandy. Well, of course, Allison, about 15 minutes later, comes up with this incredible stat. Allison, what, what, uh, give us the percentage on what a normal sh- shot would be as opposed to an empty net shot.
3: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And this was specifically, you know, with, with the empty net play. Um, and, and a credit I would like to give to um, a site called Evolving Wild. Um, they're, they're Evolving Wild on Twitter, and their um, – Evolving Wild Hockey is their site, and that is where we were able to to pull this from. But with an average – the average expected goal percentage – for a five-on-five shot so far this year is 5.8%. When you look at the average expected goal percentage for empty net attempts, it more than triples to 18.8%.
1: That's that's a huge number. And it's funny. We always again, I, I, we've I, we've done everything we can to dispel this myth, but with it, Torts laughs about Torts laughs about the numbers. And no, oh, I don't look at analytics. Of course he does. And this is one that he's really latched on to. Uh, and it was funny, the game, the game prior to this, uh, where Jones went for another empty netter, didn't score, uh, there, there was a timeout right before Vegas took the timeout. And the, the FSO cameras did a great job of capturing Torts darting down the bench. And basically what he said is, shoot it. Just shoot the puck. I don't care. Shoot the puck. And these guys are excited about the, the, the fact that, all right, we, we're going to try it. Last night, Boone Jenner. In Boone's defense, that, that group, as Aaron did a great job with today's story, breaking it down second by second timestamp. I think Boone was probably exhausted. He just wanted to get the puck down there, but he tried, missed, and then they ended up having to kill those last seconds. But yes, this is a, this is now the philosophy the Blue Jackets are going to take from now on. They're going to shoot it whenever they can. And I think the other thing that's interesting. Uh, this is, I I don't know if it's in response, but we've all seen in the last couple of years where teams are, are pulling their goalies earlier. So you're having to defend so much longer if you don't do it. So this is to me in some ways, at least trying to go on the offense a little bit and forcing them to defend a little bit. So I think, I I think it's a, it's, I, I like it. I think it's a good idea.
2: I would be interested to see what the average distance of an empty net goal is now. Versus, um, I don't know when this trend started
1: last year. Yeah, Torts said that Torts said that he started thinking about this last year. So, as Allison has pointed this out in her, uh, she had a, did a series of these stories last year, kind of from management's perspective, the players' perspective, and coaches' perspective. But the big thing is Josh Flynn, who's the director of Hockey Administration. Am I, am I, am I right? I have the title right there, Allison.
3: You do correct.
1: Uh, so Torts gets these reports. <laughs> Uh, from Josh Flynn all the time. So my thinking here is that this is something that Torts had been thinking about for a while. He said it started last year with him, but he really only started verbalizing it in the last month. Let's go for it. And it was funny to hear him talk about, and I did not get a chance to talk to Anderson about this, but I guess Josh Anderson is just like, oh, yes, I'm all for it. Let's, Let's start shooting. Uh, and Cam has said the same thing. It's like, hey, if that's what we're going to do, that's what we're going to do. And I do think, you think about how many times we, you do see guys flub just clearing attempts. You know, the pressure of not trying to ice it sometimes causes trouble, either shooting the puck into the stands or guys are just, they don't want to go all the way down the ice. They're just trying to get in the neutral zone and sometimes make soft plays. So in this case, they're just going to fire it. And, boy, did – I mean, yeah, last night, they, Boone did not think twice. As soon as he got one stride, he went for it. Uh, it was wide, but um, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it catches up to him
2: too. Yeah, and, and what they, we're they, saying here is, like, you know, typically you get the puck to the red line and you dump it in so that there's no icing and the clock continues to run and you help run the game down. There's yeah. a, there is a risk here of just getting it and chucking it. I mean uh, – You wonder if this could, at some point, bite them in the ass. Now they may. They've gotten away.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's risk reward.
2: It is, but it is part. I mean, if you're, if say, I don't think safe as death can only apply to certain people in certain situations, right? I mean, if you're going, you're going for
1: it. I thought it was interesting, though. Like Dubinsky, I, I went to Dubinsky because obviously, when, when, anytime we have questions about torts, what was torts like years ago? Right. And I was thinking he was going to say, oh, Torch was crazy, just absolute furious. He was saying that he was getting, they were getting more shit from other players. And that is so ingrained in the culture. Like, from the time you were a kid, get to the red line. Do everything you can to get to the red line before right. you attempt to shoot. Now, it's one thing if it's a two- or three-goal lead. Because, you know, all right, we'll take another face-off. We, we'll, we'll kill off the last minute and a half, and we still sure. have a goal to play with. But I your point is very good. It's going to be at some point you think it's going to come back to bite one of these teams where sure, they can just it. cleared it. And Doobie I thought was pretty good about the other night saying, well, when, when Jones missed, like, Oh my God, if we get scored on, are we going to look at the bag and say, we should have just flipped it up into the neutral zone and, and defend it again. I think it's interesting, but I, I've noticed it just, uh, just around the league. I, I see guys going for it more and more.
2: I also think back to the game in Carolina early last season. Yeah. Where it sure looked like Hannah Kynan said, I'm going for the empty netter. Yes. 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 Right? Absolutely. Like,
1: right.
2: Oh, my God. What was he thinking? Right. And now it's like, oh, that's the protocol. I don't think that was the protocol then because I, if I remember correctly, Tortorella said, Oh, no. Said, Oh, he better not have been. Right. Like, trying to score rather than just clear it. But that was like, oh, my God. What was he doing? Just get the buck out of the zone.
1: It was like the first week of the season, wasn't it? It was very early in the year.
2: Might have been the second game of the season.
1: Yeah, I oh, oh I have yeah, that's a that's a great point. It's uh Whew. Yeah, I I definitely remember that one. Did they end up and they end up that one ended up biting them, didn't they? 'Ca didn't they win that
3: game in overtime?
2: uh i thought they closed it out somehow yeah they, yeah yeah I, I
3: think that was when sunny scored sunny had the only goals it was like a two two one yeah. win maybe in overtime okay.
2: All right. right i think they got away with it because everybody was sort of like ha, ha. after the game it wasn't right. like oh, right oh. it wasn't like someone's heading back to finland you know <laughs> you can't um,
1: send that guy back to finland the way he's playing
2: no not now not now um so interesting stuff a couple of News and notes, the Blue Jackets, I think this is pretty cool. They've done father's trips like every team has done now for probably a decade, every other year at some at some points. They're doing a Mother's Day trip. Not a Mother's Day, but they're doing a Mother's trip uh, in February. So I can't wait to see the players on their best behavior on this trip to Chicago. <laughs> um, oh, no, Mom, I usually tuck her in early. Um so it's going to be mid-February, February 14th at home against the Islanders. The moms are in town, and then they travel with them to Chicago. The magnificent mile is going to see a serious uptick in in uh, charges, one assumes, and then the Blackhawks game there in Chicago on the 16th, and then home. Uh, so that's interesting. Hey, what, other, what else is going on with these guys that, that you think is interesting? I I thought the uh, promotion, the front office promotion of Catherine Dobbs. Excellent. Yeah, to senior vice president. And I've got word in with the league trying to figure out how many women throughout this league are senior vice presidents. I don't think there are very many. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we're going to scratch at this and try to give you an idea of, of what her role is going to be and how important this is. So, so look for that. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that from, from you? I think it's, I think
1: it's great. I, I think, in the NBA, I'm trying, and I, I'm trying to cite this. There, I think in the last two weeks, one of the NBA teams has made a woman, an assistant general manager. Yes. And Hey, uh, outstanding. I, I think it's great. I think if the person is qualified and certainly we've all spent you got, you two have spent, more time around catherine than i have i think it's a great move i I really do i think it's gonna it's gonna help the team uh and i think it's wonderful i think it's uh and allison does such a great job of, of she writes a lot about women in hockey and women's hockey uh there's a lot of women that are interested in this game and they can certainly bring a lot to it as far as i'm concerned
3: well and i think it's i mean that's i'm stepping on my soapbox now i mean it's Think about, think about someone taking your, your little girl or your cousin or another young woman to a hockey game and and think of what they see through their eyes. If they love the game of hockey, where do they see a woman in a job? Right. Where do they see themselves? And that's so important. I mean, we know this and in whatever walk of life we are, it's great to say, Hey, I could do that too. It's a lot harder to say, gosh, I wonder if I could do this thing. No one else is doing But the significance of seeing Catherine in a role that is related to the business, that is related to bigger than maybe just something that people can dismiss as stereotypically a feminine role, is just huge. It's a testament to what she's done. I think it's great for the organization. I think it's great for the city. I was honored to be part of the Hockey for Her event that the Jackets did and, and to hear even those women, educated, hockey-smart women, say, my gosh, it's amazing that a woman could be part of reporting on hockey. I mean, it's these are things that people don't think can happen because they don't see it enough. And it yeah. is essential that we let our citizens and our community know, men and women, that women can do any of these jobs, quite frankly.
1: We, talk, we joke with you, Allison, all the time, but I'm also being very serious you know, I J- Portie and I always say we're going to lose you to some team's going to, like, go out and sign an Allison Lucan to work in their front office in their analytics department.
3: Well, they already I mean, have. Come, that, day is, that day is coming. Well, listen, kudos to the New Jersey Devils, who have Rachel Dory. C- kudos to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have a number of women in their analytics department. Kudos That's to right. them in the Minnesota Wild, who have Ale- Alexander Mandrecki in their hockey yeah. ops department. Those are Brilliant, brilliant minds contributing at a very significant level, um, far smarter than I, and that is a compliment to them. These are tremendous women doing tremendous things for those organizations. Well,
2: I, I, had, an, I had an epiphany, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say it took this long, but in the mid 1990s, when I was so fortunate to cover the Columbus Quest, the American Basketball League, the, the sort of the precursor to the WNBA. And I, it, when that league started to have some trouble, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And, and I'm sure that was not even 150th of the way it hit the, the players and the people that were truly invested their entire lives in this. That it is such, forgive me, bullshit that these Katie Smiths of the world have worked so hard and come so far and done so many great things. And then when they're done with college, they're just supposed to stop. Yep. That's yeah. I, That's it. I remember thinking, that is so wrong. And, I, and, and there's so many guys in the NBA, I remember thinking of, I don't know why the name always comes back to me, but Dwayne Shintzis, who just happened to be born seven foot two, right? And this guy's making 50 million bucks for what? Just for being born seven foot two, right? There are a million examples like that where you're like, these, so many of these people have worked so freaking hard and have so much to offer. And it's still been too slow, and it's not where it needs to be now. But I'm, I, I'm so grateful that it's, it has come a long way. And let's be honest here. If, if you follow this team closely and you know that this, you know this team's place in this city, it's sort of the, the niche that it's carved. I think a lot of people would say that the marketing and the players have said this, and they've taken some heat from it. A lot of fans would say this. A lot of people who pay attention to it would say the marketing is not what it used to be. The games are stale. Uh, the marketing in, in, in the city is stale. It's not as exciting as it used to be. The play on the ice has come absolutely leaps and bounds from where it used to be. This has nothing to do with the ability of the team. But the way that this team is packaged and presented, I think – could really use a kick in the backside. And I'm not sure, I would assume it would be part of, certainly under Katherine Dobbs's umbrella, but it'll be really interesting to see where, where it goes, what her vision is, and how this team sort of executes it. So that's something to keep an eye on there.
3: Yes, and then if there's one more just note I can add to all of this, you know, last podcast we talked about how um, the Ohio State women are going to be playing one of the professional teams in two weeks when they come back from break. And that team, the Minnesota Whitecaps, actually drafted a Buckeye defenseman this past week, Lauren Boyle. Um, yep. so and and this this young woman, much like Lisa Chesson, who is from Columbus and plays in Buffalo for the professional team and another former Buckeye plays for Buffalo as well, it's great that she was drafted, and that's awesome. but it's still not a full-time job, right? Like, Right. These women, I mean, Lisa Chesson works a full-time job in Columbus and drives to Buffalo every weekend for games. I mean, that's – there's still so much more we can do on on getting these women out there. And I'm thrilled to see Catherine at the forefront of that in, in this capacity for Columbus.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's good stuff. The growth has been great, and I hope it continues at an even faster rate. Uh, Tom, anything to add? You're going to get to Philadelphia what time tonight? Who knows, Aaron? Hey, are you?
1: Weren't you, Aaron? Weren't you going to? Uh, didn't you have a question about uh, with the holiday gifts here?
2: Well, yeah, that's what. I, that's how I wanted to end it. If, if yeah, um, I just want to make sure you know that's an a afternoon game tomorrow.
1: You know what? <laughs> I didn't know either one of these games were afternoon games. Oh my God! I certainly didn't know the New Jersey game was an afternoon game, or I would have come home that night. But uh, right, whatever.
2: You're unbelievable. So it is the Christmas season. We're not going to do a podcast on Tuesday because hello, it's Christmas. And so this is the last one we're going to talk to you before the the big holidays. And I wanted to go around the horn here and let Allison and Tom and myself give the Blue Jackets a gift. Nothing unprofessional here. Nothing, no, no conflict of interest here. Just something, a a a gift that would help the Blue Jackets in the coming months, uh, finish out the 2018-19 season as they wish it to be. Uh, which one of you wants to go first? I'm scared to death one of you are going to steal my idea, but I'm willing to wait. Go ahead, one of you guys. Tom?
1: Uh, I, it would have to be uh, some kind of help on the power play, some kind of Sam Gagne to just drop it into their lap down the stretch at the trade deadline or whatever. Some Just one guy that could really come in here, and help this power play. If it's just one player to maybe just ignite it a little bit to get those goals. And then let's face it, they're going to need them once they get to the playoffs, because we saw what happened last year. They started quickly against Washington. I don't think had a power play goal in the last four games. So it would be help on a power play.
2: Allison.
3: Well, I mean, listen, it's easy, but I'm going to take it a signed contract with Artemi Panarin. Woo.
2: Well, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I, 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 I don't think this is the same thing. It's far less specific. I would gift to the Blue Jackets, specifically and the gift of clarity. Because Ooh. the next two months here, almost exactly two months leading up to the trade deadline, wow, it is that guy facing it. I mean, you all know the, the, the situation here. What do you do with Bob? I think the bigger question is, what do you do with Panarin? And can you possibly stomach a scenario where he is not signed and not traded by the trade deadline? I can't. I don't know if Yarmo can can envision that. I don't know if a verbal agreement that he'll sign here is enough for me if I'm the general manager. But this is going to be two weeks of really, or two months, sorry, really stressful times. Uh, for the Blue Jackets. And this story that they've done a pretty good job tamping down is only going to ramp up as we get closer to the date. So clarity to Yarmouth, Carolina. There you have it. Excellent. And clarity and peace and happiness to all of you people out there. Thank you so much for listening to us uh, this year. We're, we're, this is just getting started here. It's going to get bigger and better as we go along. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for watching those post-game videos, such as they are after the game. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all. We will talk to you next Friday.